Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots, episode 129, Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, new features and strategies for growing your marketing results. In this episode, we had the head of HubSpot's service hub, Michael Redboard. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as HubSpot's CEO, Brian Halligan does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. With me today, I'm joined by Craig Bailey from Zen Systems and Michael Redboard from HubSpot. How are you, Craig? I'm well, Ian, and good to be here and great to chat with Michael. And I just wanted to preface this for the listeners because you might think, oh, this is just going to be another interview where we just chat about how awesome Service Hub is, product features, et cetera, et cetera. I actually think we only might touch on one actual feature of Service Hub. Instead, this is actually a chat around service mindset and customer-centric mindset in general. Quite strategic and, and also some tactical bits as well. Well, let's take it away with Michael. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HubShots, episode 129. With us today, we have a special guest, Michael Redboard from HubSpot, and he's the head of Service Hub, which is a new product offering from HubSpot, and he has been the head of service at HubSpot prior to that for five-plus years. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks so much, guys. Really, really excited to be here today and uh, add my perspective to the podcast. All right, Mike, now tell us, you're the head of Service Hub. Tell us how Service Hub fits into what we do as marketers and what is the benefit to actually having it in your business? Yeah, so a few months ago, we launched Service Hub, which is the third product line from HubSpot. So I think, you know, traditionally, if you wind the clock back, HubSpot's really just a marketing company. It's the inbound marketing company. And then if you start to wind the clock forward a bit, you know, you go from marketing to sales. I think there's some really natural adjacencies there when you think about how marketing and sales people work together. And now into service as our third product line, where there's actually a whole lot of natural adjacencies into sales and marketing too. And so we're seeing it sort of fitting together for businesses in this way that marketing, sales, and service all works together to drive growth. And we're really excited to help folks embrace that vision and make it happen. All right, we're going to ask you something that probably not a lot of people ask. Where hasn't this worked? Mm, so, so where doesn't it work for? Uh, yeah, where, for, where does service have not work? In what kind of businesses, or where have you seen the implementations actually not work? Yeah, so theoretically, right, every business has an opportunity for customers to create value and drive growth. Even businesses that you may think of as a one-time business, like, I don't know, a mortuary or something, they still have opportunities to drive repeat business. And so theoretically, Service Hub really works for anybody that wants to use their customers as a growth engine. I think in practice, right, uh, the product here is just a few months old, and so you end up with it being a better fit for certain organizations and worse for others. So the companies that we see it be a better fit for in practice, right, are businesses that are sort of working with their customers, because everybody's in the business of customer service. Once you have a customer, you're doing customer service. They're working with their customers in relatively straightforward ways, right? And so they have a certain set of processes that they want to work through with their customers. They're able to create tickets to operationalize that inside Service Hub. They're able to create knowledge-based articles to speed things up like self-service, and then they're able to get feedback from those customers. The place where it doesn't work well is for businesses that are maybe really, really entrenched in a sophisticated help desk solution and are saying like, look, we've been with Zendesk for years and it does all these things. And we're like, yeah, cool. Like we're a couple months into this product line. You know, we're not going to, te- to check all those boxes. And so for businesses that find some of those features in more mature help desk solutions really, really important, they say, look, great. Awesome talking with you guys. Let's talk in a year or two. And for businesses that I think are, you know, more into making sure that everybody has access to the same data and the all-in-one value proposition of having the customer timeline all in one place visible to everybody across marketing, sales, and service, for those types of companies, it's an awesome fit. 
Now, I know when they started selling sales, there's some interesting statistics. Like they said, I think it was over 80% of small businesses didn't actually have a CRM or manage their data. Have you got some interesting statistics around service and how people manage that with customers? Yeah, so I actually don't have any stats on, on that one. But from my experience, like it, it's the same thing as sales, wherein it's a mess of spreadsheets and sticky notes and all sorts of different things. And I just think there's a massive opportunity to get everything all in one place and make it a lot cleaner. One stat that I really, really do like in terms of businesses sort of understanding their customers, which is what, one part of what Service Hub does with the feedback app, is that when you ask businesses deliver superior customer service, 80% of them say, yes, we do. We deliver superior customer service. When you ask the customers of those businesses, do you experience superior customer service? Only 8% of those customers actually agree, right? And so businesses tend to think they're doing a great job and their customers tend to think they're not. And the numbers could be off by a little bit, right? Maybe it's, you know, like we're off by a couple percentage points here and there, but there's just this massive divide. And one of the opportunities that we're really excited about is to help folks understand their customers better, get all that data all in one place, all that timeline information all in one place, all that feedback information all in one place so they can actually bridge that divide between the perception of their service and their customer's reality. That's really interesting. I wanted to ask in terms of implementing it, in terms of culture. So if you think about the inbound methodology, that was a big change for companies. Okay, you've got software, but you've also got internal processes, which you alluded to previously. That was a big change for marketers to think in terms of an inbound approach. When it comes to Service Hub, do you see cultural changes required? And you've probably touched on this in the whole kind of mess that often they are. How do you see that playing out with Service Hub? Yeah, super good question. So like, I think that if you, I, a minute ago, I sort of, um, I pontificated on a sort of promised land of your customers being a growth engine for your business. I think that sounds good on paper. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. I think in practice, a lot of businesses have a hard time achieving that. And I think a lot of the reason why is that they, they view service as a cost center, not as an opportunity. And they view their customers as like a problem to be managed and made quiet. Uh, not an opportunity to be maximized and made loud and, and, you know, to be your best advocates. And so there's a mindset thing there. And I think that's a mindset, sort of a cultural mindset that, you know, you want to share across the business. And I think your leadership needs to have that mindset. Um, and I think that a lot of times when you're a very small company and you're trying to get that first client, that first customer, you know, it's acquisition at all costs. And it's only until you start to get a few customers, you know, you start to get five or 10 or whatever, you begin to grow that sort of the reality that, you know, land and expand and growing those customers is a good idea, which starts to ring true. So I think there's a mindset thing. There's a little bit of a maturity thing. There's definitely having the right leaders in place to sort of pave the way for that to be a reality because, you know, you can buy any software you want on the planet. If you can't actually use it the right way and have the right sponsorship and the right execution, it's not going to get you the results. I feel um, the voice of experience coming there. Let's hark back to your days when you were kind of managing HubSpot support. Did you go through some of these transformations in terms oh, of culture goodness. and process? A few highlights and a few lowlights, right? I think that a lot of, you know, stories of growth are not simple, right? And when it comes to turning the corner from being a very acquisition-focused business to being a very customer-focused business, making that change we were just talking about, it's not usually a journey that people take without some pain. And typically that pain is actually a trigger to start that journey. And so for us, you know, when I was running um, our support team, I started running that team in 2012. 
And that was at a point in time when we were releasing a lot of new software very quickly, and it wasn't the most stable thing on the planet. We were still a relatively small company. We weren't public or anything at that point in time. But our customers were telling us in no uncertain terms this was not going well for them. Our cancellation rate like went absolutely through the roof. And still, when you look back at HubSpot's uh, revenue from those days, there's this big divot where we just had a, a quarter that was just like really rough because our customers were saying, look, you're not looking after us. You're focusing too much on acquisition. You're not, you're not paying attention to our success and our happiness. And so I was running our support team at the time. I was sort of on the, uh, the front lines of that, as it were. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I was responsible for was bringing that feedback and that perspective uh, to our founders, to our executive team and saying, look, guys, like this is all good on the front end, but it's really creating some challenges um, as, it, as it moves through the system. And our customers are not particularly pleased with this. And I think that really led to a mindset over time of more investment in the service team, a very different type of perspective on the customer's measurement of things like net promoter score. That was really the genesis of a lot of the kind of operational ways that we run the business that are a little more country centric nowadays. Can I just ask you, can you explain what net promoter score is? Because we run into situations where people aren't familiar with it and it's not certainly not implemented. Can you talk about kind of the simplicity behind it and how Service Hub enables that? Yeah, so net promoter score is a methodology, a practice, right, basically. It was invented by, or uh, patented at least, by Bain and Company. And really, it's a simple, simple question to understand if your customers would promote you and if they would advocate for you. So it's a measure of advocacy and happiness. And the question goes like this, on a scale of zero to 10, how much would you recommend our product to a friend or colleague? And they answer zero to 10, and then they fill in a little comment. That's it. It's a very, very simple methodology. There's a, there's a little more behind the scenes in terms of there's like some scoring and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that promoter score because it's such an industry standard way of doing this happiness survey that when you Google, you know, average net promoter score for a marketing agency or average net promoter score for a software company or whatever you are, you get some results. So it's reasonably easy to benchmark yourself um, out there in the marketplace. And it's also just such a kind of tried and true method that it works pretty well. Lots and lots of other ways to survey out there, but we like Net Promoter Score, which is why we made an app for it. That's one of the types of feedback that you can collect the service out right out of the box. It's a really simple flow to stand up a Net Promoter Score, start getting that voice of the customer into your executive team, into your just understanding of what your customers are up to, and to begin to make this transition from uh, whatever type of company you are today to a truly customer-focused company. So this is a good segue into what kind of metrics would people focus on if they've got Service Hub in place, Net Promoter Score being one of them. Is there anything else that they should look out for? For example, you know, in marketing, we look out for the qualified leads, the number of leads that have been generated. In support, what does that look like? Yeah, great question. So I think when you think about the customer experience in the whole, there are basically three verbs that you as a business need to do and do well to turn your customers into a growth engine, right? And so the first verb is like engage. That's just about working reactively with customers. They have questions, you got to give them answers. That's kind of a very traditional support motion. Engage is the first one. The second verb is guide. And that's about saying like, look, we actually know better. We've done this before. We can kind of hold your hand and take you on a walk with us. It's a sort of more proactive style of support. And a lot of times you get this from companies, you know, they send you a couple of emails as you're a new customer, whatever it is. We're all pretty familiar with this. Guide is the second one. And then grow is really the third one. And that's about, all right, if we're delivering good service and you're happy with us, how can we grow better together? And so on the grow front, uh, some of the metrics there, like net promoter score, I think that's really the prime one to understand how much people are going to advocate for you. But I also love looking at referrals that are driven through word of mouth. There's lots and lots of ways to track that. I think in e-commerce businesses, you know, there's a lot of link tracking. For other businesses, maybe it's as simple as asking a question, how did you hear about us when someone buys? Tracking that closed loop is actually awesome for the growth side of things. 
for the guide side of things and saying like, how much are we enabling people to answer their own questions? I love stats like how many knowledge base views did we have, right? Or how many searches did we get in the knowledge base that uh, folks were able to solve their own questions? And for the engaged side of things, which is a little bit more of a standard kind of support uh, scenario where folks are asking you questions and you're answering tickets back or something, I'm a big fan of how much time it took you to respond and then what folks said in terms of feedback after those cases were done. You know, was that an easy thing for them to resolve or hard? If you kind of combine that all together, you get a pretty good view of how to engage guidance grow with your customers. You mentioned response time and then customer satisfaction. Do you measure actual resolution time as well? Do you see that as a key stat? Because people are getting better at responding quickly. Resolution time might not be in concert with it. Totally. I think that the reason that response time is the one that I said and not resolution time is because customers work with a variety of different types of vendors. And we expect immediacy from pretty much everybody, regardless of the type of business that you're in. So if I'm a customer and I'm me, my name's Mike, I'm like working with 10 different businesses, I expect everybody to get back to me right away. I don't necessarily expect an immediate resolution, right? So if I have a complicated problem, I understand it's complicated. Maybe it's going to take a week or two. My expectation can be different. I think businesses should measure resolution time, but they should really hold themselves accountable to that response time because if you think about it being all about the customer, they're working with all sorts of different brands. There's this expectation of immediacy that's out there. Whereas resolution time is different for different types of issues, different types of businesses. And so when you measure that for yourself, the goal there is really just drive it down over time, make it generally better. It's hard to set like a numeric goal on that. Whereas with response time, you know, you're talking in a matter of hours is, is what, where you want to get to. So do you see the role of customer support being more important in a slowing economy as things change? Yeah. So I, like, I think we're in an interesting point in time here. It's 2018, about the middle of the year. And, uh, you know, as you look forward, you're saying like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe the economy will slow. What could happen? My perspective on it is that when economies slow, when inflation goes up, when things tighten, like businesses tend to start cutting things that are seen as optional, right? And one of the things that I think is not optional is servicing your customers. And so when it comes to kind of the outcomes that you might get in like a recession-based scenario, I think that folks will tend to double down on their customers, try to get more business out of their existing customers because the cost of acquisition is lower. And they'll probably make cuts, you know, in their go-to-market, right, in their advertising budgets, uh, you know, sort of until things recover. But I think that you actually should at least stay level on your customer kind of support function, if not further invest there, because it's just the cost of acquisition on that incremental spend is going to be lower. Especially if you have good relationships with your clients, uh, recession can actually be a good time to go back and say, look, we want to expand our work with you and sort of, you know, weather the storm together. We want to really partner with you through this and figure out contract structures, offering structures, whatever it is that can help both parties, the customer and the vendor, get through it together. That's a very kind of tactical form of like doubling down on your customers and trying to make it through that recession with support as the primary way to do it. All right, here's a question. Who should be in charge of customer support if this is not in place? So we've got people who look after marketing and sales and we've now added customer hub in. Who should be the champion of that? And what have you found that has worked because you've been through that transition? Yeah, totally. So I'll just say first, if you have a customer, you have customer support. 
You might not have a customer support department. You might not have a vice president of it or whatever, but it's happening. Somewhere, someone in your business is talking to customers. And when they have questions, that person is engaging with them. That person is helping guide them to success and maybe even helping them grow, right? If there's you know, a case study or something that they then become. So I would say first, look at the functional org chart. Where is the customer function happening, right? And that's actually a good indicator of maybe of where you should put this thing. I would say second, support and service really should be thought of not as a cost center, but as a growth center. So as a result, you should not put service or support in like operations or finance or some like kind of back office part of the world. And that, honestly, that happens a lot. Even folks put it in like, you know, engineering organizations and software companies, which can sometimes lead to cost reduction in there. I really like putting it mixed in with kind of the commercial functions of the business, which are like sales and marketing and grouping those together so that when you think about the customer experience on the commercial front, all the way from marketing to sales, to service, and that's kind of the commercial customer experience, and you have product and delivery that backs that up. So I think first look at where the function's happening today, because I guarantee it's happening out there. And then, you know, try to group together those commercial functions so that you're creating a nice, consistent, smooth customer experience where all the people in those departments as you grow can share data and tools and all that. Let's say someone's looking after customer service, and you've done this, of course. In management style, are there any kind of character traits that you would recommend? I bet a lot of folks listening today are, you know, making their first, second, third, or fifth, you know, not their hundredth customer service hire. And I think that a lot of the traits that you would hire for in an individual contributor to work with their customers, actually the same traits they should have in leadership. It's not that different. It's more of a rebalancing of the same traits rather than being radically different. And so when making any one of these hires, whether it's your first service hire or you're trying to hire a vice president of customer success or something, these are the things that I'll look for. And again, just the mixture of them is different in leadership versus individual contributor. I'll look first and foremost for empathy. Like you just need to care and you need to care about people almost in a broad sense. You need to sort of be a a humanist, right? And, you know, there's ways to test for empathy. I think when you sort of know it, when you see it, you talk to somebody, you can sense if they're empathetic or not. So at the end of the day, if this is a person that you're putting in place to look after your customers, you want them to care, you want them to be able to be human. And uh, more than any other function, customer support, customer success, customer service is really a function of being human. So empathy is really number one. I would say number two is kind of outcome orientation, right? We're not just here to solve problems uh, for free, right? We're a business. So every service person, every support person needs to have an outcome orientation. That's like almost a little bit of salesiness where they're like, yeah, I'm trying to get to this point or I want to hit this number, right? And they have to have some pride in hitting those numbers and making numbers move. I think for a leader, this is actually a really, really important trait. As you scale up service organizations, it can be somewhat of a less important trait in some roles, but it's still a pretty important thing in all your kind of people on the team if you want to actually grow a cost center. So empathy, outcome orientation. And then third, I would say is kind of process orientation. And this is something that's quite important in a leader because hopefully they're going to build for scale, right? Especially if you're a growing company, you want your leaders to really, you know, give you three to five years of runway, not just three to five months. And so, you know, you need someone that isn't like process driven, isn't like a total operations person, but has enough of that process mindset that they can create process, create stuff that scales, create things that are repeatable, save you time, save your customers time, right? So empathy, Outcome orientation and process orientation are, are really my big three. I look for those when I have customer success managers, when I hire support reps. Um, it's just sort of a different mixture of the same three based off of whatever role the person's going to be filling. So, Mike, what's your top three pearls of wisdom for our listeners? Got it. All right. So, top three pearls of wisdom. The first that I would recommend is you need to be empathetic and you need to walk in your customer's shoes 
if you want to be a business that will outlast you, right? So if you want to have a business that lasts for generations or a business that makes an impact on yourself, on your community, on your customers, you need to be empathetic and you need to walk in your customer's shoes. That's number one. Number two, I would say is that every business needs to think about the work that they do with their customers, not as a vertical function, right? So marketing is not just about, oh, we need to generate more leads today, right? Marketing is about creating experiences across customer life cycles for people who can be a great advocate of your growth if it goes well. So if you're a marketer out there and you're saying, oh, like I got to generate more leads, try to think of yourself like what could you do to be more of a horizontal function and say, how do I create great experiences across the life cycle that turn customers into advocates and drive more revenue? Right. That's number two. Think about things as a, ver- as a horizontal function, not a vertical one. And then number three, I would, I would encourage people to think about their business as a whole, not just their particular function, but their business as a whole, not just as a funnel you know, that tries to acquire, 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 but as a flywheel that tries to take marketing and sales and service. And each one of those functions contributes to growth where marketing feeds sales, sales feeds service, and service feeds marketing. And so this is really like a, a uh, mindset change for a lot of businesses where it's not just about filling your funnel, then oops, there goes a customer kind of as an output. It's really treating customers and service as an input to the whole equation because that can really help you grow better. Fantastic. Well, that concludes our show. We'd like to say thank you, Mike, for giving up your time to be with us all the way from Boston. It is uh, fantastic to see you and to see what you've done with service. We've tested the product out and we've tried some things out. And we're on the journey to see how it grows and how it expands, which is really exciting. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ian. Thank you, Craig. And thanks again to Michael Redbord for joining us on the show today and giving us insight into the customer service mindset and how he grew that at HubSpot and how our listeners, you can take those learnings and incorporate them into your own companies. I think one of the biggest things I saw, Craig, was that Mike is one of those people that has actually been through that journey of customer support in HubSpot, probably when he had no tools or very few tools, now to being the product lead for Service Hub, which I think that his experience really shows through in the way he talks about the product and the way he talks about the whole strategy of having Service Hub a part of your organization. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? He grew culture and process first and then product later to fit that. So something to learn from that. Absolutely. Now, we'd love as listeners, if you'd take a screenshot of this podcast and leave one thing that you've learned, or if you've got any comments for Michael or for us, we'd love if you could actually shoot that via email, on social, we'll be on there, or in our Facebook group. So if you could do that, it would really help us along. Until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.